I love for people to look at themselves as their home, right? Your body, your being, what it means to have access to you and what it means to have access to your home. And often I think sometimes we forget that we are allowed to be authority over our home. Looks like you've officially entered the group chat with your best friends. My name is Ali Paducci, and this is the Unfiltered Podcast, the place where we leave the heavily filtered world of social media to talk about anything and everything uncensored. From personal wellness to entrepreneurship, spirituality, sex, surviving breakups, and hilarious stories in between, join me as I navigate adulthood with real, unfiltered conversations. Hello, hello, friends. We have a fire episode coming up this week, and I know that I start every single episode off by saying I'm so excited to introduce you to this week's guest, but I I genuinely am, okay? I think when I recorded this episode with this guest, the way I was able to connect with her felt so genuine and so easy And it really reminded me of the core reason of why this podcast started. I feel so lucky to have connected, you know, with the women that I have this year in terms of my close group of friends. And it was really back in the fall after a few of these group dinners and we had kind of formed what we call, we call it our coven, okay? (laughs) And there's a handful of us in it and all of my girlfriends, they are business owners, they're entrepreneurs, they're moms, they're sisters, they're friends, they're incredibly driven, badass women, okay? But at the same time, they've we've created this amazing space where you can really go as another female to feel supported. You can you can go in as a female looking to soften and tap into that feminine energy and sometimes that's hard to find especially for me because I'm you know a lot of the things I do they're very driven they're they they possess a lot of masculine energy you know managing people running my own business you know list goes on and on and on but anyways I'm rambling now I left one of those dinners in the summer saying to myself I'm really lucky I know there are not a lot of women that have this opportunity. Maybe they haven't found that core group of friends that they can really get this from. And one of the things that I really got when I left one of the group dinners in the summer was having this feeling in the car saying, it's amazing that I can go to this group to talk about anything and feel empowered. I can get advice. I can leave feeling very full. I can leave feeling very inspired, very replenished. There's no competition. Everyone is always raising each other up. And just the conversations that would happen at the dinner table, that's where the idea of the podcast really felt good to me. And I wanted to create episodes where I could feel like people were hanging out with their girlfriends having very important conversations because that doesn't happen enough. And if you're lucky enough to have found that in your life, I'm so happy for you. And if you're still navigating that journey, it's out there and I'm excited for you to find it. So when I had this conversation with my guest this week, her name is Mina B. She is calling in all the way from New York City. We love that. I love that. And just the way the conversation flowed, I felt so connected to her. She is 
such a phenomenal lady that offers such great advice and such easy to implement advice into your life, which I think is really important. So Mina B is a writer. She's an author. She's a licensed therapist and a wellness coach based over in New York City. She's a mental health advocate who's an expert on teaching self-care through the lens of boundaries and community care. Through her writings and Instagram posts, Mina teaches individuals the skill they need to become mentally strong and emotionally resilient. And when she's not teaching, she's practicing self-care with a warm cup of tea in hand and a book by her side. Now, we're obviously diving into boundaries this week. We're diving into self-care. And those are probably words you're hearing a lot on the internet and hopefully in your group of friends and whatever it may be. But the thing is is that not a lot of people actually teach what your boundaries need to be through really discovering what my needs are so I can actually build boundaries that support those needs. And how can I create boundaries in existing relationships? You know, that can sometimes cause a lot of friction because it can be really new to start a new relationship or a new friendship with your boundaries, but it's not always easy to go into existing friendships and relationships and say, by the way, these are my new boundaries now. So we dive into that. We dive into what self-care really is and how you can start actually implementing self-care into your day-to-day. That's not, I'm, you know, not just I'm going to go to the spa or I'm just going to go put in a bath bomb. And um, we just have a really nice, easy-flowing conversation. So I'm very excited for you to connect with Mina. I'm very excited for you to hear what she has to say. And I highly encourage that you head over to her Instagram page. She offers so many amazing resources that you can soak in day-to-day. And she's also launching a coaching program, a virtual coaching program in February, which is literally like freaks me out that it's a week from now. But um, head over to our website, get on our newsletter, and connect with Mina B. So I want to say I'm done talking, but now you just have to listen to me talk for another hour. So <laughs> let's kick off this week's episode of Unfiltered with Allie with my phenomenal guest, Mina B. So hey, girl, how's it going? It's good. <laughs> it's good. Everything's good. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, it's Monday. It's sunny. Like that is a, that's a bonus thing for being on the West coast. Cause winter we get rain a lot. It gets very gloomy. So the sun's out today. I'm feeling good. Can't get better. You know, <laughs> I feel you. The sun is out here too. And it's not as cold despite it being January over here in New York city. So I'm grateful for that. <laughs> The last time I was in New York City was this time two years ago. I, oh, wow. oh, I lied. I went actually, I worked on a TV show probably a year and a half ago for two weeks and spent, yeah, spent a few weeks in New York. We were, we were kind of chatting about it before we started recording, but I'm obsessed with New York City. I'm also from, like, I'm actually from Toronto not Vancouver. So Mm -hmm. Toronto was much closer to New York and could used to spend quite a bit of time there. But now I'm craving that big city hustle and bustle, just like New York has its own kind of energy, you know? Right. It definitely does. I think, you know, I've, I'm born and raised here. So I'm on the other end of the spectrum where I'm kind of itching to get out of New York city. (laughs) But I do agree with you because it's like, where do you go 
like when you're from New York, where do you go? Because I don't want such a slower paced life, but I also am ready to move away from the really fast paced life. And I frequent Manhattan. And I think um, despite Manhattan, most of like every borough has its own unique culture to it. And so so I'm from Queens, um, but like, and I spend a lot of time in Brooklyn. And so, you know, a lot of people are familiar with Brooklyn and Brooklyn has Mm -hmm. its own culture. That's really different from Manhattan. But I do Mm -hmm. agree that you do have to have some sort of, of like personality or grit in order to really be able to make it here Um, because each, like I said, each borough has its own culture, but they're all very similar and it's all like this pretty much fast paced lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think it takes a lot to keep up with it. Totally. If you could go anywhere that wasn't like, what are other cities you would, you would consider moving to like in LA or is that uh, you know, I'm not, LA is somewhat on my list. I'm not sure if I'm yeah. ready to go all the way to the West Coast yet, but right now I'm thinking more so DMV area and I'm also considering maybe Houston. I'm not too sure yet. Oh. Yeah. I'm like, maybe, maybe I can see myself in Texas. I'm not sure. <laughs> so cool. I'm yeah, I'm I'm hoping to those are like my top two right now. And then my third one, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'm like, do I want to squeeze in Atlanta um in some sort of way also? So those are the things that have been crossing my mind. But the West Coast, I'm like, I, I'm not too sure yet if I'm ready to drift all the way over there. <laughs> it might suck you in. When I got here, I was like, Oh shit, this is nice. It's a it's a different kind of I, I at least I find with LA you have that mix of like slow West Coast, if you wanted, you can be by the beach, you can get into some nature. But if you want busy and hustle and bustle, it still offers it. But yeah, anyways, we're not on here to talk about where we want to live. I'm very, (laughs) very, very excited to have you on the show today, because your zone of genius and what you specialize in and what you speak about and the way you educate people on such important topics is so 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 amazing so i'll have you do a little intro and let everyone know who you are and your story and how you got to do what you're doing now well thank you so my name is mina b and i'm a writer therapist and a wellness coach based in new york city as we shared and i basically specialize in helping people create healthier relationships with themselves and other people through the context of self-care and boundary work And I got into my field as a therapist based off my own personal journey, struggling with mental health and depression, pretty much my whole childhood up until young adulthood. And I wanted to do pursue other careers and I had a lot of other interests, but social work and human development and just the therapeutic field always drew me in. And so I ended up just pursuing this field and I'm so happy that I did that. Um, So I've been doing this for about eight years now. And yeah, I do this on a scale of one-on-one offline, you know, meeting with clients one-on-one in a therapeutic practice. But then Mm -hmm. also I've been able to cultivate a community of people online where through my Instagram and through other social media outlets, I'm able to provide insights and support in some sort of virtual way to people who don't necessarily have access to mental health care because it can be expensive and it can Mm -hmm. come um, be a little difficult to access 
access in many different ways. And so mm-hmm. I created this online space just for people to have access to resources. So though Instagram is not therapy, I still think that we can find a way to learn from one another. And so mm-hmm. I've been able to cultivate this community online as well. Yeah, I love that. I think your your story touches on so many important points. And I think one of the things I I know one of the things I definitely want to talk about today is education. Mm -hmm. And let's go back to when you were a child. Like Mm -hmm. when, at what age did you realize, like I'm actually struggling with anxiety or depression because I didn't know that I had, I wasn't diagnosed until I was 26 after I was having suicidal thoughts, have to see a doctor, have to go on a stress leave. I thought for my whole life, like, is it this hard to live? Like, does everyone, is life this hard for everybody? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, (laughs) I definitely know what you mean because I actually had the same exact journey. So I wasn't clinically diagnosed until I was about 22 years old. Mm -hmm. And that was my first time going to therapy. And so when I was a child, I didn't have any um, idea of what it is that I was going through, but I did sense that something was wrong and it made me feel like I was very different from my peers because as I got older, when I would have conversations with my friends about feeling depressed and not using the actual term depressed, but talking about how I feel really, really sad and I'm always crying and I just feel really hopeless. And by the time I reached age 16, I became suicidal and so I started cutting. And none of my friends understood any of what I was going through. It almost was as if I was living like a reality TV show where you see these types of things in movies and you watch these teenage dramas of kids who are like having a life crisis and they want to commit suicide and they hate themselves. And then in real life, when you're actually experiencing it, but no one else around you knows how to identify with that feeling. It's like, wow, so something must really be off with me. And Mm -hmm. like I said, by the time I became 16, that's when I just kind of felt like my world was crumbling from just so many different things that I was dealing with in my own personal life. My father was extremely ill. I, a lot of my mental health issues started from childhood because I was bullied and I internalized a lot of the negative things people said about me. And so I just kind of grew up feeling like, what is the point of any of this? Because my whole life, you know, I was looking for that turning point and it never came. So it was just like, if this is what life is going to be like, then I'd rather just not go through it any longer. And as I said, I became suicidal and I attempted suicide through cutting. And then the cutting became how I started to cope. But I began to realize that um, actually through an experience where someone saw my scars on my wrist, that actually brought up so much shame and embarrassment that I was like, this world that I created actually isn't real. Like Mm -hmm. you want to hide and you don't want to be seen, but people can actually see you. And Mm -hmm. you've pretended for so long that cutting is the way to go. Cutting is what's healing you. Cutting is what's helping you. And now that someone has seen you for what you are, it's like, oh shoot, my facade has finally crumbled down. (laughs) And that's where I was in that moment. And so I went to see a school counselor. I had like a mental breakdown in school one day and a staff member assisted me to the guidance counselor's office. And I would say that was my first go at therapy, even though my guidance counselor never said what we're doing is therapy. 
And they weren't even like a clinical social worker or anything, but they just created a space for me to talk to them um, on a weekly mm-hmm. basis. And then I graduated high school and things were good for a while. But then when I was 19, my father died and I felt like between him dying, me being in grad school, me being a young adult trying to navigate life and still feeling low self-esteem, lack of confidence, I just spiraled again and started cutting again. And then the cutting turned into me drinking a lot. And then me drinking a lot just turned into me having toxic relationships and it got to the point where I was like, tag, like this life just really sucks. But at the same time, I don't think that I'm in a place anymore where I want to kill myself. And so it's like, there has to be another way around this. And I have to get, I have to get it together. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and so suicide was something that was no longer a pressing feeling for me, but it was just one of those things where you get really tired of your own BS and you're just like, oh man, like this, this just feels hard. And I, I, I need a way out of this. And so many people were pointing things out to me that I was just like, you know, you're right. This is actually not making me feel good. And so maybe I should talk to someone. And that's when I went to therapy at 22. And that's when I was finally diagnosed with major depression. I went on medication. (laughs) Um, And then my life, just talking to my therapist, everything started to make sense because I'm like, oh, all of this is stemming from this childhood that I had, that I never got the healing that I needed. And so I just continued these really destructive behaviors. I grew and grew and grew, but I didn't necessarily grow emotionally. And mm-hmm. um, that's how my story evolved into, um, you know, me just being able to find the healing that I needed. Yeah, it's, thank you for that chair, by the way. Thank you. It is wild, though, that your story is a very common story. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the parallels of, I just look at, I guess, the generational gap, right? If you look at when we were children, our parents are raising us based on likely how their parents raised us. And if you look at where I'm at versus where my grandma was at, times have changed. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Times have changed a little bit. And more importantly with that, what we have access to in terms of education has changed. And I think of, you know, the generation after me and how, you know, my friends are like people my age, they're having children, how, what they're going to have access to, to raise their children with is so, so, so different. But going back to the education, it's wild to me that I'm 30 years old, 30, I'm 31. I didn't count my last birthday. <laughs> forgot that that happened. Um, I'm I'm 31, and why is it that it only has been recently, let's say the last few years, that I'm starting to realize that all these things are quite deep rooted, and no one in my life, in terms of education, gave me the tools to really put in my toolbox to navigate life. So no one like sets you up, I feel like for emotional success in terms of what's healthy and no one teaches you about self-care outside of bath bombs. No one truly teaches you about self-care. No one teaches you about 
figuring out what your needs are so you can set healthy boundaries to set you up for success. I just feel like when it comes to that emotional toolbox, there's it's not no one really teaches you how to grow it or what to put inside of it until you get to this point where you're like, okay, now I have to backtrack a little bit. So here I am, 31 years old, starting to do inner child work, starting to do shadow work, starting to do, you know, figuring out where these these stories that I created for myself stemmed from because I it, I don't have a memory almost. Like ask, like it's like part of my memory is actually blocked off and I find it even harder for me because I don't I didn't have that, you know, traumatic event in my life. You know, like the the little T and the big T of like, I don't feel like I had a big traumatizing event that helped that switched really the way I saw life. Mm-hmm. I just had a lot of little things that I don't remember have me create all these stories about myself. And then I was trying to get through life with the, with that. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Sometimes I think I'm like, I'm just word vomiting. Are you guys following what I'm saying? it absolutely makes sense you know I think too like you're speaking on something really great that I think a lot of people have to learn as well because we live in a culture where I mean you touched on so many great things and I want to start with with the trauma because I do think a lot of people feel like unless they have experienced some sort of DSM related traumatic experience then their hurt and their pain is not valid And I believe like, yes, we have specific trauma such as domestic violence, child abuse, natural disasters, but there are also other many experiences that are so subjective that even when I'm talking to a client, if they feel like this scenario was traumatic to them, I can't define that for them because trauma really is about the emotions and the symptoms that manifest and how you experience this thing in the world, you know? And so I can't necessarily say for someone else, well, according to the definition of what trauma is, what you're describing isn't necessarily trauma. And so the things that you're feeling, you're either over-exaggerating it, that's actually not true. And I think a lot of the time, some people stray away from getting help because they think that what they're dealing with is not important, or Mm -hmm. they think that what they're dealing with isn't large enough to be deserving of some sort of care. And so it's like, there's people who have it worse. So why am I so uh, messed up? Or why am I feeling so broken when this person has this trauma and this person has this trauma? So what do I have? You know, and I think that it's just a great point to also remember that all of us are experiencing the world in our own personal bubble and our experiences are subjective and whatever our hurt is, it is what it is. You know, we can't, um, if we go around trying to define every certain thing and putting into a box and putting it into a category, then we're going to struggle with getting the help that we need. And even in terms of education, I think that our culture, um, I'll be 31 in March. And so we definitely come from the same era. And so when I think about my parents and their upbringing, especially for the fact that my parents aren't from aren't from America, they're from Panama. And I think about my great grandparents, um, my lineage in general, you know, everything was always about survival. And although millennials are still surviving, I think that we have recognized that survival isn't just 
navigating and moving through life by doing and um, abiding by societal rules. I think Mm -hmm. we're recognizing that a lot of these rules need to be broken and shifted and transformed because we are also the generation, not us, I personally feel, but I think that we are the offspring of the burnout generation. I think a lot of people think that millennials are burnt out, but I actually think millennials have seen the burnout that their ancestors have dealt with and which is why we're pushing against a lot of norms. And we're like, we want to pursue entrepreneurship. We want to, um, you know, go against all these systems of oppression because we see what has happened to our family members. We see what our parents have dealt with, our grandparents dealt with. And so we don't want to deal with that. Right. We become wiser (laughs) and smarter. And we're just like, this life is not, that life is not attractive to us. And so we are seen as rebellious, but the reality is it's like, we recognize that we have to take our mental health into our own hands because we are being able to objectively see the lives that our parents have lived. And we're realizing that this is not it. We have yeah. to break some cycles. <laughs> yeah, we have to break some out- cycles. <laughs> that's going to be the outtake or the, the, the episode title. This is not it. It's just not it. <laughs> well, I do find it just so interesting going back to information that we have access to. We can literally pick up our phones. Right. And find out answers to anything that we want in the matter of seconds. Whereas even in our, when we were kids, you couldn't do that. Like it was kind of just like, you know, it wasn't, the internet's like still fairly new. And with our parents, it wasn't like that. With our grandparents, it sure as hell wasn't like that. So we really are, I think like, I'm trying not to use this term because I feel this year in terms of like conspiracy theories and language and everything going on, but people are talking a lot about like waking up. But for me, it's like we are waking up to a different kind of knowing and realizing like things do need to change because they're just the times aren't, they're different. And isn't like one of the definitions of productivity or, you know, finding the laziest way to do something Like we are really good at, we're really good at doing that. And we're starting to realize like, how can we make things actually work in smarter ways, forming better systems for ourselves, forming better routines for ourselves, both in our personal lives and in our work lives. And kind of just, like I said, we, if we want to learn something, we can. And one of the greatest things that came from that is we actually do have access to this information where we can be like, okay, so maybe what I'm feeling is normal in the sense that it does happen to other people. And now I can better understand it to get the help and the support I need to navigate that journey. And one of the things I want to talk about today is, is Mm self-care and self-care in a more in-depth, meaningful way, because Instagram has a way of painting a really nice picture for a lot of things in life. You know, what the definition of self-care is, what the definition of success is, what the definition is for like entrepreneurship, you know, that busy, that hustle culture, that like team no sleep, you know, we're, we're consuming content all of the time. And I want people to be able to take a step back and really figure out like, what truly is self-care to them and how can they build a supportive practice that really does nourish them? Yeah. 
I mean, that's so good. You know, I totally agree that I think Instagram can definitely paint this picture. And it's a really redundant picture as well that we see happening yeah. on all over where we think that self-care is going to the spa, booking a trip, going on vacation, um, getting our <laughs> hair done, you know? And I think the problem with that image is I'll first say that there's nothing wrong with those things. No. That, no. yeah, you know, there's nothing wrong with those things. It's okay if you do like getting massages. I know I love going on vacations and I love um, doing my hair. I love doing my nails. Those are really helpful things to do to self-soothe and to manage your um, care mm-hmm. in a different way. But what I think ends up happening is we don't incorporate emotional wellness into mm-hmm. self-care. And I think the reason why people often still struggle is because they're not using discernment to identify what that self-care need is. What is the need that I have in the moment? Because by recognizing what that need is, it'll help me to identify what the self-care practice is that I need to put into place. And so if your body is aching and you find that there's a lot of muscle tension because of what you're dealing with, you like our mental health can show up in our bodies with dealing somatic symptoms. So chances are you might benefit from a massage so that you can release yourself from that muscle tension and the different aches and pains that you're having in your body. But if you are someone, for example, who is struggling with setting boundaries and you have this particular family member who is always being intrusive, or you have this friend who you feel like um, is very draining, going to the spa is not going to give you the tips that you need to learn how to implement boundaries. You know, what What we end up doing is, <laughs> it's, it's like, I, I open hours. <laughs> and that's the thing, right? For a few hours, the stress that we feel from that, we go and we alleviate it by getting the massage and booking all these fancy trips. But then when it's all over, you have to come back to the same scenario. And so I paint that picture for people because I often think that um, people don't get the connection between how self-care really is also about emotional wellness and problem solving. And Mm -hmm. we have to learn how to pick and choose what is appropriate for the situation that we're dealing with. And so, as I said, in the first scenario, if you are feeling something like body tension or things like that, a massage can be a great self-care practice. But if you are struggling with boundaries, that means that you need to do some boundary work because boundary work is self-care work. It's about a way to preserve your mental health and your well-being. So learning how to say no, learning how to be assertive, learning how to ask for what you need, learning how to identify what the issue is and communicating that. And you need to be engaging in self-care practices that are going to give you the tools and tips to help you create a healthier life and sustain boundaries. So that might look like reading books on boundaries. It might look like participating on some sort of workshop or conference that focuses heavily on how to erect boundaries. That might look like just actually doing the practice of it and starting off with saying no to someone. That is what self-care looks like in the context of emotional wellness and problem solving. And so I recommend for people who want to practice self-care 
and really don't know where to start, I always say you have to look at the situation and by engaging in the scenario, what is the outcome going to be? Is the outcome going to produce something that is going to help me with the specific situation that is causing me stress and burnout? So like I said, with the first scenario is if I'm really feeling stressed and burnt out, is going to the spa really going to give me the skills that I need to manage the stress and burnout? You can go to the spa and get a few hours of care, but you're going to end up coming back home to that same situation. So you mm-hmm. want to say, if I engage and invest in this thing, what is the outcome going to be? Is the outcome going to be something that helps me solve this problem? If it doesn't, chances are you need to focus your attention somewhere else and say, well, if this is not going to give me a solution to this problem, then that is probably not the self-care practice that I need. I can probably do both. I can do the boundary workshop and say no. And as a result of it, maybe I will book the spa because that was so anxiety provoking, (laughs) right? But I finally did it. And maybe I do want to reward myself with a little spa treatment, but just, it's, you you know, so again, it's not about Xing those things out. I do want people to know that it's okay if you want to engage in those things. It's about knowing to use wisdom and figure out what is the most appropriate option for me that is going to actually give me a result. Yeah, that is so, so, so important. I, (laughs) we talked about this before we started recording, but I used to work in the travel industry And I was in the travel industry for eight years and I also worked like I worked for a travel company. I took as many personal trips as I could. I felt like I lived at the airport. Okay. (laughs) Toronto International Pearson Airport. That was my apartment. And I would find that there was really one point of one time of the year that I could take like a big vacay, you know, go away for two, three weeks. And I would always take those trips solo. And I would always do like the most extravagant trip that I could. Like I remember the first trip I took, I was 18 or 19. And I went and bush camped in five countries in Southern Africa. And that trip changed my damn life. It was the best thing I ever did in my entire life. And then after that, I was like, all my trips are going to be like this. I road tripped across Central America. I did like, I did all these things and I would feel like this entirely different person on these trips. And every single trip, I would be on the airplane, on the runway, taking off to go home, and I would bawl my fucking eyes out. Mm. I would bawl my eyes out. And at the time, I couldn't figure out because I wasn't much of a crier. I was pretty stone cold. Mm. At the time, I couldn't figure out why I was so upset. And the more I started to do this work, I would look back and things, you know, you start to, when you start doing this work, you start, things in your past start to make sense. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And... Travel was my emotional response or my defense at the time. So if something was going bad in my life, I was a runner. I'm like, I'll move. Ci- I'll want to move cities. I want to go on a trip. I would just want to escape what I was feeling in that moment because I could be the best, happiest, most exciting version of myself when I was on that trip. And then I would catch myself crying, realizing, oh my God, I got to go back to everyday life. And... I think I was 28. I was 28 and I was in, I went through a really big breakup and it was one of those breakups that kind of held a mirror up to me and Mm -hmm. said, like, it just showed me everything. When that relationship ended, 
I knew instantly everything in my life that I needed to like, quote unquote, fix. But it really showed me like, this is actually your canvas and what you're working with. So are you going to step up to the plate to try and navigate this journey and fix it? Or are you going to continue like you're too old for this? Are you going to continue to have these patterns keep resurfacing in your life, doing the same thing in your next relationship, the one after that, and then just go through these traumas again and again. So I was 28 and I enrolled in a program called a year of love. And it's one full year, 52 weeks, every quarter, there's four quarters, every quarter, like first one was on self. Second one was on understanding the male and like how men operate. Then it was with women in the third quarter. And then fourth was like putting it all together and integrating. And the first quarter, I remember sitting there like, first thing we dive into is needs and boundaries. And we're talking about these things freely. And I'm like, what are those? (laughs) Why am I 28? And I'm just learning how to actually figure out what my needs are so I can set boundaries to support myself. And it started to all make sense that I could never figure out in my life why I was so angry all the time, like just genuinely angry. Like no one's listening to me. No one respects me. I never do this. I do everything for everyone else. I never get anything back. Like why don't people know what, like the reason why I'm upset, you know, like that familiar list of just that constant anger and resentment and frustration And then it hit me. I was like, I, A, don't know what I need to feel good. And I, B, don't know how to ask for that. And also kind of set up a fence in my own yard to say, like, the only way you're coming into this backyard is if you're following (laughs) these rules. And that's kind of the focus I want to talk to people about right now on boundaries. It's like, how does actually someone discover their boundaries? Like how, what is a really good practice for someone to like realize what their needs are and start building that framework out for themselves? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually really love that you just said building your fence because I love for people to look at themselves as their home, right? Your body, your being what it means to have access to you and what it means to have access to your home. And often I think sometimes we forget that we are allowed to be authority over our home. And so it's about recognizing one, what are your needs when it comes to people having access to you? What are your values? What do you value about your home? Because boundary work is rooted in our values. So When we learn to first identify our values, we are then able to recognize what we want to protect and Mm -hmm. what we want to engage in and what we don't want to engage in. So in my home, in this temple of who I am in my yard, I value honesty. If you're going to come into this space, I value honesty. And so because I value that, my boundary is that I want people to be honest with me, but I'm going to be honest with you. And so sometimes my honesty, you might not like it, right? Mm -hmm. But in order to preserve this home, I recognize that this is something that I have to do. I recognize that honesty is really the only way that I can live a healthy life because I can't go around pretending or lying in order to appease other people's needs. So I have to be honest about where I am. 
on my journey. So if someone comes to me for a favor, if they come to me for an ask, if they come to me for help, I have to be rooted in that honesty and share that boundary. And that boundary Mm -hmm. might disappoint you, but that is rooted in my value of just being honest and having integrity. Another thing is, for example, let's say your boundary is, um, your value is family. What is the thing that is blocking access to you having more time with the thing that you love? If you love family, right, for example, and you really want to engage and and hang out with friends and do all these things, what are the things that constantly interfere with your ability to do that? Do you find that during the pandemic, because we're all work, majority of people are working from home, you're just going to take it upon yourself to work all day, and that's impacting your ability to engage in your community, right? Because then that shows that you need to set a boundary with yourself and this task that you have in front of you. So often boundary work can really be rooted in what's going wrong. (laughs) You know, it's like, what's going wrong in my life? Because that can be the eye opening thing to, okay, this is going wrong. Let me go back to my value systems and let me see if I'm living in alignment with the things that I value. And by assessing if these things are going wrong, you can start recognizing, okay, let me go back to that value list that I have and start seeing where I need to erect boundaries with those things that I feel like are going wrong. Because that's often, you know, people hate that that's pretty much how life goes sometimes, right? Where we have to see where the failures are, where the mess ups are, where things are going wrong for us to recognize, oh, this is an area where the change needs to happen. And so think about in your life, whether it be through work, because boundaries applies to everything. It can be um, with work, boundaries with work, boundaries with friends, boundaries with family, and even boundaries with yourself. So think about areas in your life where you recognize I'm feeling burned out. I'm feeling really stressed. I'm feeling overwhelmed because those are chances that there needs to be a boundary in place. Mm -hmm. Moving forward from that course, I found it so helpful when I was starting new relationships, whether like for any sort of interaction with a new person, it was so easy for me to have those boundaries up and communicate those boundaries. What are some good ways, because I know people struggle with this and this is the hardest part, to go into existing relationships. So you haven't had expressed any boundaries in some of your maybe relationships with childhood friends, with your parents, with co-workers with how you run your business and now you have to show up differently and communicate your new boundaries <laughs> in mm-hmm. a way that aren't going to like freak people out because that is a really tough transition to know someone your entire life and then all of a sudden have them say just so you know if this is going to exist it has to be this way moving forward because yes. that's scary right right So that's really a really, really great point. And there's two things that I often say to look out for when you are new to erecting a boundary. So the first thing is pay attention to your emotions because guilt is often the number one emotion that a lot of people feel when they are new to practicing boundaries. And guilt, the definition of guilt is I did something wrong. And from childhood, you know, there's a lot that plays into why we have irrational guilt, but we can feel guilt even when we are doing the right thing. So it's really important to objectively look at the situation and recognize that, am I allowing my emotions to control this situation in the moment? 
um, because you really want to take a step back and look at the logical reason for why you need to set a boundary and not the emotional reason, right? Um, So think about that guilt and learn to reframe that guilt. And although it might feel like you're doing something wrong, the logical reason could be, well, to sustain my mental health, to sustain this friendship, to sustain this business, this is something that I need to put into practice. So Mm -hmm. I always just say, pay attention to your emotions so that your emotions don't control you and be the thing that stops you from setting the boundary. The second thing is when we're trying to build boundaries in existing relationships is recognize that there might be some pushback right? And so there's a difference between rigid boundaries and flexible boundaries. And just knowing that when you're commuting, communicating with people that you know, um, sometimes those people might forget that you have this new boundary, right? And so I always say, ensure that your boundary in an existing relationship is not so rigid where it's like, I gave you this boundary once. And since you didn't um, abide by it, we're done. (laughs) Right. Because, (laughs) you know, like, I think that we have to learn how to find the middle ground in regarding healthy boundaries and especially in pre-existing relationships. So it's really all about one, when you get to the step of communicating it, right, just share it. Just say, hey, you might even want to say, this is new for me and it's most likely going to be new for you, but this is what I need for my emotional health or however you want to phrase it moving forward, and this is going to be my new boundary, right? And communicate it in a way because you know your friendships better than anyone else. So I always say there is a difference between communicating a boundary with your best friend and communicating a boundary boundary with your boss. There is a level of intimacy that you have, (laughs) right? You know, there's a level of intimacy that you most likely already have with this friend that you don't necessarily have with this boss, that your friend might be able to be more empathetic and understanding compared to your boss. So you're going to respond to both situations very differently. And so in the context of having a boundary with people who we already have intimate relationships with, I always say, start off with just communicating that boundary, right? And communicating it's new to you, it's new to them, and this is how you want things to be moving forward. I also say, be prepared for pushback, which looks like someone not um, either accepting your, having a hard time accepting your boundary or them being confused by your boundary. So they're attempting to cross it Mm -hmm. and be open to having a conversation with them about that behavior and also be firm with your boundary. Right. And so being firm with your boundary is, well, if I share that I don't want to do this thing, then I'm not going to do it. And if someone is attempting to cross that boundary, have a conversation with them. You know, boundary work isn't just a one, two, three type thing and then it's done. Boundary work is is like, it's, it's like communication. It all falls under communication. And I think that you start to notice, however, when the scenario comes where you erect a boundary and you're being firm with that boundary, and it's clear that this person is continuously crossing that boundary, then it might be time to implement some sort of consequence to that boundary. So that Mm -hmm. might look like, you know, if I said 
stop calling me after eight o'clock. I'm just not going to, I'm going to either block your number at a certain time, or, you know, I'm going to share that this is what the result is going to be because you're not respecting my boundary. And you can, can communicate that with that person so that they're aware you're serious about your boundary and this is what's going to, what it's going to look like moving mm-hmm. forward, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so I always just say, there, there could be a lot of grace when it comes to boundaries because I think people who are new to it, sometimes they set out all these different things at once and then it's like their relationships start to crumble, right? And that's not the goal. The goal isn't to close yourself off from people. It's really yeah. to help people navigate how they can now interact with you. Yeah, and it's to strengthen yourself and the relationships around exactly. you. Exactly, yeah. One of the things that I find... I don't know if it's triggering or entertaining at this point, but <laughs> gaslighting mm. is wild. And gaslighting in the sense where I don't want this to sound like I'm talking shit, but <laughs> sometimes some people they'll read a book on boundaries. Maybe you'll listen to this podcast on boundaries. You take it, you have a takeaway from it, and now it's just like everything in my life must have boundaries and like my way or the highway. And if one person oversteps it, it's like, F you, you didn't respect my boundary. You don't respect me. This is a non-negotiable. And it's like, um, let's, can we dial this back like a quick second? Because I've had a lot of situations like that in my life where I obviously want to respect people, but sometimes you have to not even sometimes, you have to realize when you are going through this transition of implementing this goodness into your life, you already touched on it, it's going to require a lot of communication. And if you have boundaries or things in your life that are non-negotiable, they have to be communicated. Yeah. Otherwise, there's resentment, it causes an explosion. You have, I've been literally, I've, it's like, there was, I remember one friendship a few years ago, friend exploded on me, said I was the worst friend in the entire world and that I disrespected every single boundary, had no idea she had any boundaries. Mm. So here I am, you know what I mean? Here I am going through this relationship, not aware that I'm doing things to hurt her. So obviously it's not intentional, but I'm, I'm affecting her greatly. And then all of a sudden it was like, you don't respect me or anything. And So there was like that gaslighting element and that situation is quite common with a lot of people that take on this new work and want to implement it in their life. And that's not a bad thing, but I think, yeah, the biggest takeaway from what you said is how you can have those conversations to communicate and kind of come up with the game plan of how you're going to have that transitional period. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, right. You know, like, for example, I, I would like to share an example, too, because it's like I have very, very close circles of friends. So these are people who have known me since I was a kid. And these are people who I know respect my boundaries. However, just because these people have known me my whole life doesn't mean that they're mind readers. And it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that they're like, like you said, in that situation, it doesn't mean people, cause we're always growing and evolving. And so sometimes our needs change, our desires change, and we're all uh, trying to adult do adulting in life. Like there's so many things happening that people have their own worlds that we always have to communicate what's happening for us. And I remember going through a phase where I wanted to, um, I go through these like little moments where um, I'll say like, I'm going to step away from doing this thing for a certain period of time. 
And for example, drinking alcohol was one of them. And I just voluntarily text my friends and was like, hey, like this is probably going to sound ra- random, but I want you to know I'm not drinking anymore for right, right now. And that I'm sharing this because I also, this is my way of expressing, this is also my boundary. I want mm-hmm. you to know that I'm not drinking, so I'm probably not going to go out with you for drinks if you ask, right? Or if I come over, please don't offer me any drinks. I'm starting this conversation because I'm also erecting the boundary here. It's, mm-hmm. is it coming out of left field? Like what what's, what's the text about? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yes. But that's what it looks like in a healthy relationship to just clearly communicate what's happening yeah. for you, where you are in life. Because now if I'm in a scenario where I, I'm not drinking anymore, but my friends are like, hey, let's go out for drinks. So they're pushing drinks in my face and I get upset at them. It's like, I never communicated with them something yeah. that they're so used to me doing. You yeah. know, they're so used to me having a drink with them. They're so used to me doing this thing. When did you inform us that you yeah. were no longer drinking? When did you inform us that you didn't want us inviting you out? When did you inform yeah. us that you no longer want us to offer you drinks? When did we get that memo? And so- yeah. um. It's really, like you said, like being able to communicate what's happening for you. And if a text comes through and and they're like, you know, because they're so used to this and the text comes through and it's like, hey, we're going out um, tomorrow night to this place. I can just say, okay, great. Gentle reminder. I'm not drinking. Right. You know? And so I think we just have to get really comfortable with communicating what our needs are in all of our relationships, because if you don't communicate your boundary, you can't expect people to know. It does not matter how long you have known a person. We always have to communicate our needs. We can't have an expectation for people to know better and to know how to have access to, again, our home if we're not clearly stating what those rules are. It's such a silent killer in relationships. I, and it's so toxic. Like it's toxic for you to hold that expectation, even if you don't realize it's toxic, because not only are you setting yourself up for failure, you are setting all your relationships up for failure. I remember in past relationships, I would be so mad, at, like so mad at like my ex or like, I'd be like, why, how does he not know, you know, or friends, mm-hmm. how can, how can they not know that what they did was outrageous? How can they not know that what they're doing is not okay? And yeah. Did I ever tell them, Hey, that like doesn't work for me? No, you just, (laughs) people aren't mind readers. And these conversations, I think the important thing to know is that while they might feel very difficult to have, they don't need to be aggressive. They can be as simple as that text or, you know, if you have problems saying no to a friend that's asking to do things a lot of the times, one of the ways you can say to, say to your friend is, hey, I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed. I'm feeling a little bit emotionally tired right now. And um, just so you know, I'm going to be taking a step back from doing this. You know, Let's touch base on this day or when I'm ready to do something again. I'll, like You kind of have to set the framework for what you want, because if that is not clear, if your deliverable, your ask is not clear for that person or of that person, they're just, they don't know what to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They just don't. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I totally, totally agree. And so I, I'm hoping that as people work on building better relationships with themselves and others that we can learn to be safe enough to communicate Mm -hmm. how we feel, but also being confident enough 
to communicate what our needs are and not allow our emotions to control that situation, but just recognizing that you're entitled to what your needs are. You also just want to communicate what they are to the people that you know so that people can show you if they are willing to abide by those things or if they're not, they'll show you who they are and then you can also determine, is this something that I can move forward with? Is this a friendship or a relationship that I actually can move forward with despite this, despite how long we've known each other or have been together, this is something that I need to implement. And if it can't be respected, then you can start recognizing how you need to move forward with this person. Yeah, I think this is such important work kind of like your groundwork, you know, your foundation for your, for your house. And then it starts to trickle into your friend group and your community. You really start to realize that you have so much control over everything around you. And I start to gravitate towards certain people when my values change, when my Mm. needs change. I realize my community of people around me shapes because now that I have different values and standards, I have different expectations of people around me. And I've seen friendships transform for the better. And I've seen friendships kind of drift and they're not a bad drift, but you also start to realize that it's okay to have, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, if you don't think this is healthy, but I, I personally think that it was okay for me to realize that I could only get certain things out of certain friendships. Mm -hmm. And once that expectation changed, it's like, well, it hasn't worked for me to feel that deep connection or that advice or that place where I could share and feel supported. But when I hang out with this person, I always have a lot of fun. I always feel like I laugh a lot and, and, you know, I can get different things from different friends and changing my expectation of certain people while, you know, creating these new boundaries allowed for me to really just shape my community of people around me without so much resentment. Yes. I love that you said that because that's so true. And that speaks on, like you said, community. I think often what happens is, um, and this has to definitely be a conversation one day where friendships in adulthood are so hard for people that there are a lot of people who struggle with boundaries because they are expecting one person to fulfill all their, all their needs. And it's really important that as we grow and as we evolve, we really have a group of people. We have community support because you can't get everything that you need from one person. And by putting that expectation on them to be everything for you can be very damaging to the relationship. And that's whether you are in a friendship, you are, it's your friendship or you are in a partnership with someone. And so it's important because you get to discern, all right, my best friend, I can probably tell them everything. And I know they're going to have, I can implement this specific boundary with them because I already know the type of energy I'm going to receive in response. I have this level of intimacy with this person. But then you have another person who it's like, you know what? I, my boundary is, I'm just not even going to share my business with them, but Maybe I maybe I want to go out and have a drink, or maybe that is yeah. the person that I call and it's like, hey, you want to go do this one on a Saturday night? You know, um, everyone fits our needs so differently, and this is why I say, although 
I don't want people to think boundary work is so black and white. There's so much nuance to this because we often, so often are expecting one person to fulfill all these things. And then when we are getting angry because they're not fulfilling it or there's certain things are happening, we're implementing all of these boundaries. And then it's kind of like we start feeling lonely and isolated, you know? And so I truly believe that having community is so essential for our growth so that we can know, um, who we have to lean on, you know, and who you can go to when you have a specific issue in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think building community is is something that people struggle with a lot, especially as they go through transitional phases in their life. And especially in adulthood, you know, we touched on this earlier, but I didn't really feel like I found my community of people until this past year. And I'm so happy that I, I found it. And that doesn't mean I haven't had amazing friends in my life. doesn't mean that my family hasn't supported me. It doesn't mean that's not negative at all. But once it's kind of, it was kind of finding like that flow and that realization of like, oh, I, I can actually transfer this stuff that I learned about a romantic partnership (laughs) into friendship. You can't spend like it's such it's a killer if ever if you expect your romantic partner to do everything you depend on that person for your happiness there's no separation there's no like must do everything with this partner it kills the relationship and you're always encouraged to like have your separate life have things you know have people that you can do things with but i never translated that into friendships you know, I would get upset if like my one, like you're my one best friend. What do you mean you're doing something else? You can't, you're my best friend. (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm like, well, I can have lots of best friends and I know that they all serve such magical purposes and it makes that time with them so much more supportive and exciting because they're all so unique and they're all very fulfilling, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Yeah. I feel like we can talk about this for hours and hours and hours, um, but I want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about how people can actually work with you. I know that you have a virtual coaching program starting, so I'll let you fill everyone in on the good stuff. Yes, of course. Well, thank you. Well, just to connect my socials, I'm heavily on Instagram. And so people can find me at Mina B, M-I-N-A-A underscore B on Instagram and other social media platforms. You can also visit my website, www.minab.com. And I highly encourage people to sign up for my newsletter. You can find that link in my bio on Instagram or via my website. And through my newsletter, I share writing prompts and I share monthly offerings with my community firsthand through my newsletter. So I always say you want to have access to that. And as you mentioned, my virtual coaching program that's coming in February, um, we are going, I am going to be offering a six week program. It's going to be a writing program for people who really want to learn how to be, as we're talking about boundaries, be more intentional with their boundaries and their self-care practices. And so by signing up for my newsletter, people can get more information on when registration opens. Amazing. Thank you so much for hanging out with me, Mina. I think we had a very important conversation and I'm going to link all of your handles and your website for people in the show notes. And if you're listening, I highly, highly, highly recommend that you connect with Mina to start building your emotional toolbox. If that's the biggest takeaway from today, it's never too late to start building that toolbox and being more intentional with how you're living your life. Thank you, Allie. Thank you.
Well, there you have it, honeys. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Unfiltered with Allie. My name is Allie Petucci, and be sure to visit at Unfiltered with Allie over on Instagram to join in on the conversation, connect with my guests, and access additional content and resources from each episode. A friendly reminder that you can join my girls-only Facebook group via the link in my Instagram bio. This is such a great place to connect with other badass women from all around the globe. Finally, if you like what you heard today, be sure to hit that subscribe button to make sure that you don't miss out on any future episodes.